David Butler Studio Podcast. We'd like to begin today by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording. We pay our respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. He. Him. Good evening, listeners, and welcome to the He Him Podcast. Ew. Yeah, that was, that was gross. What? Was that Good Morning Vietnam? Is that what that was? You're was not supposed to good talk yet. Sorry, what's the address? I haven't. Shut I, the fuck I, up! I haven't introduced either of you yet, which means. Which means douche. Yeah. You douche. You rinse that shit right out of your ass. Hello! <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody. Hello, listeners. And welcome. <laughs> How many coffees have you had today? Like, what the fuck? Ah, start your day with a croissant more, I say. <laughs> Hello, listeners, and welcome to the He Him Podcast. Hello, everybody. I'm Rob. I'm David. Now, we also have with us tonight, we should say... We do, because they're going to start whispering in the background. That's right. (laughs) Yes, because they're currently trying to order churros. Joining us this evening for the podcast is my wife. She's nice. She's very nice. She likes sex. Although how much she's going to enjoy it after this podcast is debatable. (laughs) My wife, Claire. Welcome, Claire, to the podcast. Hi, y'all. And my partner in crime, Josh. Hello, everyone. I'm trying to find a suitable option to feed this for. Yeah. Um, We got some pretzels. We got some churros. It's dessert time. We're drinking wine. We've just had dinner. Now it's time for dessert. Claire baked a beautiful... Guinness and steak and Guinness pie. Steak and Guinness. I knew I got that round the wrong way. (laughs) Guinness and steak. The Guinness is the important part because we're Irish. Yes. Irish. Anyway. Yeah. (laughs) So by way of introduction. Yes. I feel like we should say two weeks ago, we recorded for about two, two and a half hours. Three. Three hours. Okay. Three mm-hmm. hours mm-hmm. with also the four of us. Yes. Um, and we are talking about ethical non-monogamy or open, open relationships. relationships. Yeah. Um, and all the ways that, you know, we manage that scenario. And after recording for that three hours, we all sort of agreed that it, it sort of felt that like for a listener, it would feel a bit like you were sort of being dropped in the middle of something without uh, any real context or um, sort of a, a lead into it because we really did just jump straight into the conversation. Yeah, relying somewhat heavily on an unrecorded conversation that we had had a night or two prior to recording. Yes. That I think we just kind of picked up and continued with. Yeah. That, yes, that was somewhat necessary to provide as you say, the context. Yeah, it actually would have been really good if we had recorded that conversation. Wouldn't it just? Yeah, it'd be great to just start being mic'd all the time. Just wear wires, make a, a Big Brother episode. We need a podcast editor if that's going to happen. <laughs> uh, so anyway, in, in light of 
that feeling, we thought, well, we probably should take a step back, introduce the topic a little bit better than we did. And so um, David and I both reached out through our socials and we basically just asked the question, if, if you had a question to ask um, about ethical non-monogamy, open relationships, or, or anything related thereto, what would those questions be? And so we both had a number of responses. Yeah. Um, and so we thought what might be a good idea is we take a step back, we, we introduce this episode that you're listening to now as the sort of prequel to our, our larger conversation. Yeah. Um, and we'll just, we'll, we'll sort of start a little bit softer by answering some of these questions that we've had from <laughs> basically our friends and followers on social media. Yes. I think it's it's important to disclaim as well that we are only speaking of our experiences within this world, and this is not necessarily representative of how it works for everybody. Yeah, that's right. Um, nor is it representative of everybody's experience with with open relationships or ethical non-monogamy, um, which in itself is different to polyamory and I'm sure we'll touch on that as we go as well yes but it, it, it's important to note that we are purely speaking from our lived experiences of this rather than it being a any kind of authority on the topic as a whole yeah yeah in, in fact I would I would go so far as to say it's it's probably the the keystone of the, the kind this kind of lifestyle is that it, it must be it necessarily yeah. is personal to, Absolutely. To, to every individual and every couple or thruple or however many. Yeah. Yeah. Quadruple. <laughs> I mean, we could keep going. Quintuple. <laughs> Supple. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> well, on that note, on that slightly discordant note. <laughs> How dare you. Should we jump straight into the questions? Yeah, let's do it. All right. I, I happen to have them here on my phone. Or, uh, Claire and Josh, did was there anything that you wanted to say by way of, I guess, introducing yourselves since this is the first episode that will air? That's a big ask. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, penny for your thoughts. Penny for your thoughts. Who thinks my thoughts are that cheap? <laughs> <laughs> Family um, discount? Family <laughs> discount. <laughs> Well, okay, so let, let's let's do this perhaps because you, as far as I am aware, the two of you kind of haven't provided a lot of, uh, well, as we were talking about, context about why we're talking about this other than, of course, I'm sure the listeners are going to assume that we all live this lifestyle. Yeah, we, yes, that so, is, you're right. That is something we should have clarified. Probably, I mean, <laughs> what if we do, what if we do the old intro thing? So, hi, my name is Claire. I am I mean, sometimes. I am a 36-year-old mother of two, and Rob and I have been married for 12 years and 12 together. long, long years. In the best way possible. <laughs> <laughs> Note the, the silence, silence. listeners. Um, and, and together for longer before that. And we've lived in an open relationship in some way, shape, or form for pretty much the entirety of our relationship. Mm. So... And that's look that that's been that's looked different at different stages. Mm. Um, so that is where I come from in the context I'm going to provide as a cisgendered white female, slightly older, and, and sort of coming into my sexual prime for women as well. Mm. So damn right. <laughs> uh, 
And also, I, I like to, uh, hopefully something I, I will get to address at some point, is how my sexuality, particularly um, through becoming a mum and, um, and what that meant and what that did to my sexual drive and things like that, how that evolved for me, which I think isn't really discussed very often, um, which, I mean, it doesn't just have to apply to, to mums in general, but um, to when you become a parent of some kind and, or any sort of life change that really shifts your perception of who you are. Mm-hmm. So that's the... That was a long context. That's my perspective. No, that's, no, that's, that's great. A, that's a great contribution. I think that would be a very valuable um, perspective to have. It was, a hu- it was a huge portion early on, especially after we had the kids, as to how, how what our relationship looked like and what we were both looking for. And that was one thing I was really grappling with at the time. Mm. Yeah. Josh. Um, I'm Josh. <laughs> I, um, Josh. I'm 29-year-old Asian male. Um, Beautiful Asian male. Mm. Thank you. Uh, partner of Gorgeous. David. I think per- perhaps what I could contribute to the topic could be how the open relationship in itself was more so about myself instead of my relationship with David and how that has sh- since then shifted to more about a shared and joint venture that we take on together. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Okay. Beautiful. <laughs> so much more succinct than me. No, you did. You, I, I understood what you said. Okay, so with uh, those introductions now um, dusted, uh, let's jump into the questions. We actually had. I was. I was really pleased with um, the responses that we had from a number of people, and a lot of people um, asked the same question. So there were clearly a lot of topics that um, a lot of people jumped straight to. So um, I'm sure we will uh, cover those as we go through here. But yeah. um, the first question: um, Why did you decide on the E and M lifestyle? So maybe David and Josh, can we flick that over to you? Sure. Well, decide. Yeah, decide is an interesting one because it's it's not a necessarily a single decision that we made as much as uh, I'll try and keep it brief. But how we started to explore it, we were up in Queensland for our anniversary. It would have been our sixth or seventh anniversary or thereabouts, mm-hmm. and our Airbnb was near a massage parlor that had a it was something like, and we won't name, we won't name it exactly, will we? Thank you. Okay. Wow. But it was something like Rainbow Happy Time Massage or something. It was like somewhat suggestive that it, there was more on the menu than just. I mean, it certainly massage, sounds like it, yeah. right? And so we kept walking past it and laughing, and, and and it was like the second last day we were there, and we just decided, let's go suss it out. Let's go figure it out and see what this is. So we went in, all completely legitimate, above board, a, just a small little boutique massage parlor, two tables, two people working. And so we went in, had a pretty decent massage, and we were walking back to the Airbnb afterwards. And the conversation came up, well, what would have happened, you know, how would you have felt if something had have transpired, if they had have started engaging that way? And so the, the conversation kind of happened for a couple of days 
to weeks after that. Mm-hmm. And then do you want to take over? Because you were the one that Captain Googled it and you were like, actually, this could be quite exciting. <laughs> what Captain if we Google tried this? <laughs> Captain, Captain Googled it. <laughs> I think I remember I, from my from my point of view that I, um, I remember we were sitting out on the balcony one day just having a conversation and I brought up the the topic of cuckold and I'll and for the listeners who may not know what is cuckold cuckold for me is I get off from watching my partner engaging in sexual activities with other people um, and I brought that up and it wasn't decided at that point that mm. we would try but it just kind of it was it was out there yeah it was it, out there. It, the idea was out there and we just kind of sat with it for a little while and from there proceeded to have different experiences and eventually not that it's a linear thing but eventually cuckold led to josh joining in on a couple of experiences so that was us exploring threesomes playing with other people which was fun and oh exploring three i I, i'm sorry i thought you said six boring threesomes that was our six boring threesomes (laughs) i was like you had six boring threesomes we've had a couple couple, you're not doing it right (laughs) we had a couple of boring threesomes i think would you agree with that very early on we didn't really know what we were looking i would actually go as far to say and until recently we hadn't really had like a great experience we'd had several good ones but until recently uh in terms of playing well you know having a special guest with us i actually think it's just been in the last couple of months that we've had some really good experiences of going oh that's what this can be yeah yeah um and it's amazing once you have that to kind of go cool and you can start identifying what the missing pieces were the kind of person the kind of conversations you need to have around what you're looking for, what they're looking for, what the dynamic is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, um, so that led to us being open. So much for giving a brief. So that, <laughs> so, so, so that led to us playing with others. And how about yourself? So, Because Claire mentioned when giving context that you guys have always been in some form or another open. What what have those arrangements looked like? What, what have those variations been? No, it's you first. You want me to go? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, so essentially, uh, Claire and I got together when we were both uni students, so we were we were relatively young. I was a little older. Um, more worldly. Well, <laughs> I mean, in, in the literal sense, more worldly. But we, w- when we first got together, we were, um, you know, as probably most new couples are, we were just having lots and lots of sex. And as you do, you start talking about the things that turn you on and, the, you know, Claire started to talk about fantasies that she had and stuff like that. You know, she mentioned things, oh, you know, how hot would it be to, how hot would it be to have sex in, in a room full of people or, you know, have mm-hmm. sex with people watching sex in public, like, you know, and, and those kind of conversations sort of grew from here are, here are these fantasies into well, you know, what if we were to try something like this? And that, I think that sort of sat with us for an idea, uh, just as an idea for, for a very long time before we ever acted on anything. And the first little sort of foray into anything that was even a little bit naughty was just going to a nude beach, um, which we thought was going to be sort of a really big deal because it, it, you know, it feels like you're going to do does. something big every time. I think if it's something that you, like anything that you haven't done before, you can absolutely build it up in your mind as yes. being like, 
this is going to be really significant. Going to pay off. It's yes. kind of, yeah, yeah, the anticipation of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you all for remaining silent. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, so we, we wound up going to this nude beach, and it was, you know, we, we had built it up in our heads, and we got there, and we went down to the beach, and then we we're like, okay, are we about to get naked? Oh my God, we're about to get naked. And then we did, and it was like, oh, we're, we're just at the beach naked, you know? And it really wasn't a big deal in reality as what we had built it up sure. in our heads to be. Was that a freeing moment or was that a... Yeah, I would say so. Okay, I mean, rather than a letdown or disappointment what from what you you'd say? kind of built it up. I don't really remember this. So <laughs> I don't remember... No, I, I should, <laughs> Great story. Feel like, it's a really good story. That's not how I remember so it. So insignificant um, is the... <laughs> no, I think we, we may have viewed that in slightly different ways. Possibly I didn't. I don't remember... I actually don't remember the first time we did the beach... I to answer to answer your question, mm. you can ask me whatever you're going to say no, in a minute. Yeah, but yeah. I've always found being naked in nature extremely liberating. Mm. That's why I've done like well, I've done quite a, a number of nude photo shoots and and sort of um, photographic and film work like that. And it's probably it probably comes from my history as a dancer, where I don't particularly view being naked or semi-naked in a room full of people as being something that's particularly hard that's what i was about to say you you've always been very comfortable i've always been very comfortable in my skin that's changed in recent especially after the pandemic where i put on weight and i had to come to terms with my body and learn to love it all over again which i have done and part of that was learning to love being photographed again and photographing myself in the nude so that was a roundabout way of saying I don't remember that as being our first um, foray into this. It probably was, and it probably wasn't as much of a thing for me as it was for you. It was a big deal for me, yeah, because yeah. it, that it's the kind of thing that I had never been. You know, I'm about to use. I'm about to say exposed to. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway, I, I don't want to go on too long about this. But any, so that was our first little thing that we did, and then uh, shortly after that, we decided that you know maybe we would start to investigate these conversations and fantasies a little bit further. And so we made an online profile as a couple and we started chatting to some other couples on websites and it was through an advertisement on one of these adult websites that we saw um, an advertisement for a place that did uh, swingers parties in uh, where we were living at the time. And we sort of talked about it and played with the idea and and we decided well you know what the hell we'll give it a try because the we knew we didn't want to do anything really raunchy but the description for this particular party was that it was in a a, a purpose-built residence like a a house that had been purpose-built for this Mm -hmm. um and that it was very warm and welcoming open to everyone it was very casual so you know you just rock up and basically it's just like going to a social event and if if something leads to something else then great and if not you're perfectly free to do you know yeah, it was a like. very curated experience which was yeah. a really good thing for anyone who has lived that particular part of the lifestyle before that often these things can be a bit free for all and they feel they'll suffer the experiences tend to suffer because of them but where they are more controlled and sort of the um i don't want to say the guest list is curated because that Sounds kind of exclusive. It's not in that way exclusive, but I think there was an age cutoff. There's like an age cutoff. Under there's 40 uh, or this particular. They do multiple nights where they do cater to. Uh, even back then, they did cater to the queer community. They did cater to women only nights as well. 
but on the heterosexual nights there would be either an even number of men and women or um, single men couldn't come, which mm. was a huge factor in the safety and the feeling of safety. So just to sort of preface those, those sort of things. Yeah. Um, and I also wanted to add that, um, like Josh, uh, like Josh was saying, for sort of a, an impetus that was driving his desire to kind of do things, uh, have single experiences because you'd only ever been with David. I had only ever been with one person sexually prior to Rob. And so part of our conversations, this wasn't so much an impetus for me to go out and seek um, experiences, but it became part of the conversation as we were talking about prior sexual experiences and, and different lovers and things like that. And obviously I couldn't draw from as much. And it didn't bother me that, uh, that Rob had a, a, a longer experience than <laughs> I did. Significantly. I know, significantly. Well, I, mean, I had well, relatives. <laughs> I mean, I, I wasn't you know jealous of it, but um, it did become part of the conversation. I remember you sort of going, well, it would be good for you because, you know, you, then you get to try things. And that became part of, for me, what I remember as the motivation for me. Yeah, and you learn, you learn yourself as well by, by learning other people too yeah so I, I, I suppose the the direct question was why did you decide on this lifestyle why did you choose this lifestyle and I think um, sort of cutting to the chase once we started experimenting with this kind of thing and I can't speak for you can I can only speak for myself but it Literally. became evident to me that it was really important as a journey of self-discovery discovering my sexuality and it is it is really mind expanding it's you know it really yeah. opens mm -hmm. you to um dildos di yeah I mean, <laughs> big ones small ones no. some as big as your head <laughs> <laughs> but it, it really does it really does open your mind to the idea for me it was it sort of broke the world a little bit because you know we've most of us i would say have yeah. been raised in a bubble where you know we're told that you know love is only between two people yeah it's only between, you know, for a lot of us, we were told that it's only between male and female. Yeah. You know, and, and you can only have sex with the one person. You can only ever love the one person at a time, you know. And, and so for me, it was sort of breaking that bubble open and going, oh, my God, there's a whole side of myself. There's a yeah. whole side of my partner. There's mm -hmm. a whole... Well, there's a whole world outside of what we've been taught is yeah. mm. a, a relationship can be. Absolutely. And so it was about that journey of discovery for me. Yeah, um... Oh, so many thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> so many so, thoughts. That was so beautiful. Just grab any one of those myriad of thoughts. Just reach out there, David. Grab just one. Grab it. Wrap your fingers around it. Give it a little squeeze. Not just my fingers either. Um, <laughs> I, I, so I would say that it's, in our experience, it wasn't a decision as much as a thing that became more and that made more and more sense of the kind of life that we wanted to live. And it's not to say that an open relationship would work for every relate every couple for every relationship. It's not for everybody. And and I don't think any of us are sitting here trying to convert anybody who doesn't want that no, for, for themselves at all. I think it's more a case of we have realized for ourselves that for us as individuals, 
and as couples, that this is a healthy and helpful thing to engage in, that it makes us better. As you're saying, it opens you up and it makes you, in the best possible sense, forces you to grow. It forces you to kind of challenge the, not just the things you've been taught, but also maybe past experiences and and, and traumas. And it, it, it puts you in a position to be able to recalibrate and maybe take control of yeah, it's a very of active things. way of living and loving. Like it, 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 it yes. is. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Thank you. I don't. I don't mean to imply that anyone listening who's not part of that, that this kind of lifestyle that you're not living actively. Certainly, that and means nor, different nor are they living less than. What it kind of means, I think, what you two have kind of been edging around um, is, (laughs) is that it does force you to be very present with things that you've dealt with before preconceptions that you have about love and relationships and communication and um, self-worth and self a huge mm. amount of self-worth and like josh was saying there was a certain amount of self-exploration where you really do realize that it is about a lot of it is about you and and not necessarily about the couple or about your yes. relationship and that sometimes feels a bit selfish and it's about how the couple handles that and that keeps you very active mm. actively tied in with each other and your communication has to be so so transparent and so raw and in some time you know and so vulnerable in so many ways yeah. and so it, it is it if nothing else it's a very active way of living a relationship and to add my two cents worth to to what why i kind of wanted to live this sort of lifestyle because it's so alien to anything i'd ever done before and i think for all of us correct me if i'm wrong you two this was the first time that we'd ever even considered living this kind of lifestyle with each other like it was the first time that we ever did it together yeah and that for me was a part of the 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 expansion i guess it was it was when we first started it was when i realized that there was such a capacity for intellectual and emotional growth because i had never even had the inclination to do this with a partner before and it was when i felt with you that i could I, I, maybe it started from a place of genuine comfort and security in our relationship and just feeling like feeling like my bond with you was so strong that it couldn't be broken maybe you know i don't maybe that was how i felt at the time but i just recall feeling like if 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 you were with someone else i wouldn't be jealous and that sort of led me to think about jealousy mm. and, you know, is jealousy really just insecurity? Is it really just covetousness? You I'm know, glad is, you is got it... there because we, I was thinking that had, in its basic terms when we were first starting out, we really did look at those not simple concepts, but the idea that a person can't own another person, that jealousy is kind mm. of an expression of ownership in, in so many ways or uh, don't take my thing. Quality. It's a possessive mm, thing. Yeah. Um, so exploring that, theme and then on uh, this is a very basic um part that i come to sometimes i had a realization that um monogamy wasn't necessarily the only way and nor was it necessarily that realistic because i fully re- recognized and re- that you know sexual desire was something that was present and not necessarily linked to the emotional capacity of someone to be in a relationship so yes. Understanding that from an intellectual perspective for me was a huge part of coming to this kind of, Mm. again, the lifestyle I want to lead, the person I want to be, the relationship I want to be in. And it came from almost those basic, what's the word I want? Basic. Boobs. (laughs) Boobs. (laughs) I just wanted the basic boobs. (laughs) 
like the, the basics almost like relationship tropes like monogamy monogamy is not sustainable and monogamy mahogany it's <laughs> a nice piece of mahogany wood. is not sustainable that's true <laughs> <laughs> i want to just share that when for me personally when i first started entertaining the idea of open relationship that i think for me for the majority, like in at the beginning, it was very self-driven. That I, it was really more about. I feel like I really need to have sexual experience in exclusion of David. And but to cut to the chase, as Rob would say, that <laughs> what did in hindsight that even though it was very self-driven, that like you, that I see that if I could experience so much beauty in life with one person whether that's emotionally sexually or physically there are so many people out there that i get to do that with and it's not just me experiencing them they're also experiencing me and i just i feel there's this interwoven quality in that kind of lifestyle that you are not afraid to share moments with another human being Mm -hmm. and i find that stunning that's beautiful. To quote Audrey Hepburn, to be in the world and of the world. Mm. Yeah. That's my two cents. <laughs> I'd say at least it was five cents. It was very, very <laughs> valuable. It made sense, let's say. <laughs> So another question that we were asked, uh, and actually several people asked this question, so it was clearly an important one that was on people's minds, but um, what sort of boundaries do you set in place? Yeah. What rules do that you have? That one came through a lot. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know, maybe Claire, would you like to start? Yeah. Boundaries are an evolutionary process because what you are... Uh, it. it hmm. How to to properly sort of address this in kind of a linear way that makes sense. The person and the the person who is engaging in in the behavior and what you're doing, whether it's as a couple or separately, context will dictate your boundaries, your past experiences will dictate what you're comfortable with. And then those things will change. Which yeah. is a fun thing. It's like, it's like trying to navigate a course on shifting sands. And I mean, not wanting to speak for David, but mm-hmm. myself, I have had anxiety around um, certain things that I've worked through with Rob and, um, and um, by myself. And so that has, you know, the boundaries that we started off with, a lot of them are still similar. Some of them we've worked out don't matter quite as much to us and they're more uh, fluid. Uh, so that, that's more of a yeah, conceptual... Yeah, seminal fluids. <laughs> More of a conceptual discussion of, of what a conceptual boundaries are. Fluid. There's, a, there's a vast difference between what she's talking about and what you're talking about. <laughs> you're nuts. I mean, and if, we, if we're talking like actual, what are, what are my boundaries, for example? So my boundaries at the moment for when we play, particularly when we play separately, um, I reserve the right to kind of ask questions and to know um, what conversationally what's being said and, and certainly... 
Um, that is to, to, to clarify when I'm speaking with another woman you reserve mm-hmm. the right to know what's being said between me and the other woman yes, yes. because yeah. I think one thing that you know we Rob and I approach the situation that when we're engaging in anything to do with our open relationship is that we are engaging as a couple that anyone engaging with us even if they're just engaging with one of us the there is the you are still engaging with the unit, so yes. to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the so, primary relationship that yes. is there. Yeah. But, not, I mean, but quite often, and more, more and more, in fact, I've sort of um, taken the position that I kind of don't need to know and I don't necessarily want to know, and, and, but yeah. you know, knowing that I have reserved the right to, to, yeah. <laughs> to ask keeps me feeling safe and, and helps Rob to know where, I, why, where my boundaries are, I mm. suppose, with that. Yeah. So uh, we, we, from the start, set out certain boundaries but we had a conversation very early on if we were going to do this what sort of rules because we knew intrinsically that we would need to have some rules and so fundamentally what it involved was just a very open frank conversation about what the other person would be comfortable with and so you know we set out things like okay you know if we're going to have penetrative sex with someone else always condoms right um if we were going to be engaging with someone else then we wouldn't engage individually we would only be engaging as a couple you know so we we sort of had these these rules that stemmed from a conversation very early on and then once we actually started to engage with other people we realized a couple of things i think which is number one that you can't necessarily know what you're going to be comfortable with uh-huh. or what you're going to enjoy until you're in the moment absolutely and so that conversation is not something that it, it needs to be taking place every moment yeah it's um, an ongoing thing because yeah. you don't mm-hmm. always sometimes you can be caught off guard by things where you're going oh i thought i'd be okay with this and i this is now feeling yucky yes, yes. yeah and that happened to us a couple of years well, ago it happens i mean this is the thing is like you have that conversation and then be prepared to have that conversation Absolutely. multiple times yep. over the years because yeah. it takes setting a, a realistic expectation it does and, rather and than it being cool we've made that boundary that's safe that's set in stone and yeah. and one thing we um had to grapple with as a couple was that we like certain boundaries that i found were really important to me were not so important to rob so navigating yeah. you know so that i still felt safe and still felt like we were approaching things as a unit mm. but still respecting that he was a lot more comfortable and and so finding that middle ground was something that we well, didn't grapple with. I don't want to make it sound like it was a struggle, but it was conversations that we had to continually have so that you really understood where I was and I understood where you were. Yeah, and, and I probably wouldn't even use the term middle ground because there are things that I am very comfortable with and things that you're not so comfortable with. And the idea is not that we meet in the middle there. The idea is that... I don't ever do the things that you're not comfortable with. That's a good point. So when you're, you play you're to the... free to do all the things that I am comfortable with. So it's it's basically just respecting the other person's comfort mm. is really what we're doing. Which sounds so simple, but really, when you're in the thick of it, um, <laughs> eyebrows raised for yeah. those of you listening at home. Um, <laughs> You know, it's, it's not necessarily easy and it brings it back to how my, my point of like these sorts of relationships are very active and that you have mm. to be prepared yeah. with having the awkward and difficult conversations. Um, but I, and, and that's the other thing is that those conversations, they may sometimes feel awkward and difficult to, to start, but our experience... It's always getting them started that's the yes. hardest. Yes. Yeah, and, but once we have a conversation, Claire and I, every single time, we always feel An amazing so good. makeup sex. 
No, but we always feel we always feel sex so while good. doing his makeup. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we always feel so one. good and so connected. Yes. yes. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and so the the conversations are in some ways the most rewarding part of the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, I'd agree mm. with that actually. The debriefs and the conversations around yeah, um, yeah around yeah. it. That, that depth of connection that you have with somebody mm. as a result of those conversations, mm. it's it's incredible. But yeah. I I must say like I'm sure we all we all agree that it's sometimes it f- feel like it could break you. Sometimes it feel it, would, yeah. it made you think that maybe you i would be better without being in a relationship so i don't that certain have, things would be easier yeah, or i don't need to follow these rules per se um but because they're worried about that your partner is worried about something that they don't need to be worried about mm. maybe in, to your view yeah 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 i mean and that comes back to well, again, for me, that just resonates with sort of my anxiety and I try to not impose rules that have no basis in, in not necessarily rationality for me because sometimes it is emotional and that's fine, um, but really trying to reason through my boundaries and then talk through them with Rob so that they are reasonable because obviously I don't want to be imposing things because I'm worried about losing the relationship, yeah. which for a long time, well, for not a long time, for a portion of our history was a huge factor for me in how I was approaching things and isn't anymore and, and wasn't to begin with. But again, it's part of the shifting nature of just relationships generally and then how we've approached yeah. and how that, what Josh was saying, kind of impacts how you approach boundaries and what you're yeah. bringing to the table from mm. your own. I also find with with having one's boundaries set, because Josh is certainly, because because of our difference in lived experience, Josh is more comfortable with more aspects of being in an open relationship than I am simply because I have more triggers and more trauma around this area that I am continuing to navigate. Can you point to the area for forever? Grab that teddy bear and I'll show you. <laughs> Actually, grab that dildo and I'll show you. <laughs> um, no, I, but I, I know from my experience that having my boundaries respected is a very healing thing mm. because the trauma comes from having a boundary broken. Mm. I, that's, and that's putting it very simply. It's mm. a far more nuanced, difficult thing, trauma. But having my boundaries respected and valued by Josh is a very healing thing that actually allows me to make ground on that thing. Absolutely, I'd 100% that's agree a, with that. It's not a that's case a of point. I set a rule and that's just something he has to deal with and then I just get to kind of sit in that and go, cool, I'm static and he just has to deal with it. It's more a case of him, yeah, as, as I say, him respecting that helps me grow and move past that because mm. I want to grow and move past. I don't want to be defined by the things that have been done to me. I'm mm-hmm. proud yeah. of your growth. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> well, on that, it's looking we... really good. <laughs> Put an why don't we pass the baton to you yeah. two, and, and you can tell us about your boundaries and how they came oh, to yeah. be. Oh, okay. okay. Lead on, McGrath. Um I think at the beginning it was more. Well, what what am I saying? I all I can think of right now is. I haven't said it yet. <laughs> boundaries. I I think that whenever we are uncomfortable, with, when we didn't really try to set. We did talk about a few things like, you know... Always safe sex. Always safe sex. Yeah. Both of us are on prep, um, but we also... 
still practice safe sex um anyway prep for for those um that may not be aware is pre-exposure prophylaxis it's um, a daily tablet that we take because we take it daily rather than on demand <clears throat> it's a daily tablet that we have that basically means if exposed to hiv we won't contract it oh yeah wow I- i've never heard of that before yeah because mm. it's not okay. available to you straights oh well to welcome to the exclusive club i was gonna say yeah you might have to lie to your gp about your sexuality sometimes i take it in the bum bum can i have those pills please <laughs> That's your doctor's voice. <laughs> I, I thought I recognized it. <laughs> Were you the person behind the curtain? <laughs> and a very present hand. If I only had a prostate. <laughs> now tell me, tell me if wow. you feel a little That's right. Yeah, so boundaries. We, um, thank you. Uh, Yeah, always, always safe sex. Um, Some of the boundaries that we've had previous, well, one of the boundaries that we have, we only, we will only host, have somebody over to the house if we are both engaging with that person. Mm. Um, And that stems from an experience back in 2019, pre-pandemic, an experience where I was interstate and Josh had somebody around and it was a very difficult uh experience and yeah it brought it it wasn't specifically anything that josh did wrong or or anything like that it just drummed up a whole bunch of different trigger points so so for right now that's that's one of the boundaries that we we have in place and but when it comes to some other things like um some some of the listeners might be interested in things like you don't sleep over at their place or that kind of things it's like we didn't really set rules about that per se, but I think it, it's just that I think where we are right now, if there's mm. something we want to do, we just bring it up and talk about it. It's not so that, much mm, we yes. are, you're not allowed to do this. It's Definitely just, that, yeah. It, it's and not putting rules in. It's not, yeah, yeah. absolutely. We're not trying to in, inhibit the other person. Absolutely. And to tie that back to the last question, it makes you feel so unbreakable with each other that you're able to go through this and, yeah. and talk about some of the things that you might have thought was the most uncomfortable thing that you have to talk about with ease and it's nice to be in that place and but you have to go through Mm, the shit to be able to get there that's not where it starts but it is so rewarding to go through the shit yes yeah yeah Yeah. it's like (laughs) i was saying to you the other day that the longer (laughs) we're the longer we're on this journey together the likelihood of me Finding someone else who could match up to you and what we go through together, it would nobody, be nobody less and less. You, Thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> That's uh, how I feel. Yeah. So. But, uh, and look, part of my self-worth journey, if, if for, for want of a better word, part of my self-worth journey is acknowledging that, is, is recognizing that no person that Josh is going to be with is ever going to be able to replace me. And that's not a, I'm shit hot. It's more a case of nobody else has been in a relationship with Josh for more than 10 years. Nobody knows him like I do. Nobody could be the things that I am to him Hmm. the same way I can. Mm. Irreplaceable. (laughs) And this is is why you're the designer and I'm the singer. (laughs) Right. So I I think in summary... (laughs) 
what we can probably say is boundaries are a something that are individual. Yep. Um, so even if you are part of a couple, you, your boundaries might not be shared. Each yeah. person will have their own boundaries, the things that they're comfortable with and uncomfortable with. And the important thing is for you to respect your partner's boundaries and for your partner to respect yours. Um, and really open, frank communication about what you're comfortable with and where you are, um, what you're comfortable with doing yourself, what you're comfortable with your partner doing. Yep. Um, those conversations can be difficult, but they're necessary. And they have to be ongoing. And Yes, mm. yes. It is not a conversation you have and then it's done. Yeah. yeah. Can I it raise... is a constant check-in. Yeah. It's very much mm. like consent in that you can think you're perfectly comfortable with something. Yep. And then in the moment, you suddenly go, oh, I'm not comfortable with yep. this. And, and you need to be able to have that conversation. And as a partner, if, if someone raises uh, an issue with you in the moment, you need to be able to be receptive to what your partner is saying yep. uh, in that moment. So, yeah, it's, it's very open communication, very honest communication. Um, and, yeah, it's individual. Do we, what do we no, say? That's, I, I'd yeah. say that's, so that's wrap that question up. Okay. Were, you, was there something else you were going to say in there, Josh? Oh, okay. yes. I, I was going to say some of us, because when I listen to topics like this, I always wonder, has has it ever happened that there's a boundaries that your partner just won't like, come to? Like, like, there's one thing that he is just so determined or you are so determined to do that you're, he, would, he prioritizes that over respecting your boundary and how do you go about that that for me is red flag territory in terms of that is a relationship that's maybe not compatible with an open relationship because that that's damaging and disrespectful in in my mind and Mm. that's a conversation that should be had rather than somebody taking a liberty and and just making a decision yeah and and i i suppose in for the you are perfectly within your rights to to disagree with the boundary your partner sets, and, or disagree, or go that you know I don't need to experience that. Or does does that make sense? You may not necessarily agree with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You may the, not share the, that perspective. Yeah. But in the example Josh is giving, where it's a willing and conscious disregard for your partner's boundary, that for me is a real red flag. Yeah, and and I should say in our experience as well for the purposes of being completely transparent with the listening audience but also i suppose just to illustrate as a point that this is much like anything in a relationship this is not something that just happens with perfection it's not something that just happens with ease and people make mistakes and people do the wrong thing everybody is fallible and i have done that but i have Mm -hmm. crossed lines and broken boundaries before that claire has set and you know that is that's caused us some hardship yes that's caused some tense uncomfortable moments and we've had to have some difficult conversations and that was the shit that we waded through yeah (laughs) and and this is where i say it it for me is a red flag rather than it's not a deal breaker you know it's not and it's not necessarily the end of a relationship it's that for me is a red flag of okay there is something here that needs to be examined and talked about before as a couple you can move past that because we have definitely had that issue yeah Mm. i think it's normal i mean it was absolutely not really shit to go through it but i think that it's normal and human 
to see something that you want or something have it you know be having something that you enjoy or experience that you find fulfilling and then for someone to say i need you not to do this anymore i have a problem with this mm. that kind of goes against the grain you know that the human desire is to move towards pleasure and away from pain obviously mm. so in that most basic of senses it is a difficult thing if you're the person breaking the boundary if you're the person in the, you know, in, the in the driving seat it's a difficult thing to ask to just stop yeah and of course the idea in a perfect world in these kinds of relationships is that you do is that you respect the boundary but I think it's really important for no for, for, no, for listeners I know I'm shedding hair like I'm a cat in heat um, <laughs> for the listeners to know that, that these relationships can survive when and it is about the communication it is about the hours and the time that you spend debriefing and going through and rehashing things and the willingness to, and to willingness do that work to do it yeah because it's mm-hmm. not an it's not an easy thing it's not something where you both go oh here we're gonna have sex with other people amazing and off <laughs> you go there will be hard times and that is part of what well, you're I'm, doing it right yeah. if you're doing it right <laughs> cringe but that's that is the rewarding <laughs> part that's the part of that's the ethical part of the non-monogamy it's not yeah. just yeah you know 100 percent I think it's really important to stress because... It's also important to stress that the, the ethical part of non-monogamy is, uh, is, is what uh, contrasts with what happens in monogamous relationships where there is still a lot of non-monogamy happening, but it's not ethical. Like, absolutely. Like, monogamous absolutely. people cheat on each other all the fucking time. Constantly. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yeah, we, we as a species are not built for monogamy. Monogamy is a... A thing that has been, if I understand it's historically, yes, if I understand it correctly, is a social construct designed yeah. to control. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. I yeah. want to caveat that we don't want to. Oh, it's certainly not poo pooing on anybody yeah. that lives happily in a monogamous lifestyle and yeah. in a monogamous relationship. It could be a question of you know religious it could, values. It absolutely, could be personal values, which are so valid. Um, yeah. It, it, it really is down to the individual couple. Yeah. The same as we are not trying to convert anybody to open relationships if it's not for them. Mm. I think it's just about the mutual respect of that going the other way of monogamous relationships not presenting themselves as the correct way to go about a relationship. And yes. anything other than that is less than or abusive or... Yeah dangerous yeah and and i think that's unethical yeah and and i think that's a a big part of the reason that we wanted to have this conversation was number one was to sort of and i know this has been a huge sort of implicit goal for for claire and myself over the past several years is to sort of destigmatize yeah and be more open about the fact that we are open you know because it's something we sort of kept quiet for a long time yeah well i've certainly said to you um off mic i've said to you that it was certainly helpful for Josh and continues to be helpful for Josh and I seeing you guys be open about being open. Mm-hmm. Like it was definitely helpful for us to, cause it dispels some of the fears in terms of if people find out, are we going to be rejected? Like, if people find out, is there going to be like a black mark against our name? Is work going to dry up? Yeah. And blah, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And with that, why don't we just take a a short break and we'll be right back. And now a break from our not-sponsors. 
a break from our not sponsors? That doesn't sound right. We're in a perpetual break from our non sponsors. Because <laughs> they're not sponsoring. <laughs> you sons of bitches. Slightly, because some of us are caffeinated. Some of us are... Some of us are just wearing caftans. Some of us are... Inebriated. Dehydrated. (laughs) Um, Okay, so... um, David, I know you had a couple of questions that came in for for you. you, Yeah. Why don't we shift over to you? All right, here's a question that I received. Is it kind of an unspoken rule that you don't sleep with people you both know? That's a good one. Dun, dun, dun. That is... Who do you get to fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's not unspoken. (laughs) Um, Not anymore. It's not unspoken anymore. (laughs) Initially, we didn't have um, rules, uh, didn't have boundaries around this because the first... It was never really an issue initially because when we started playing separately, we were playing separately and worlds occasionally collided, but it actually was a good thing on most occasions. So it wasn't something where we had a shared pool of friends that we were just making our way through, as it were. <laughs> but just in whittling down. Whittling it down. In recent years, it became more of a thing where... How do I want to phrase this? Diplomatically. Well, I, I think just to put it very succinctly, we did have a time where we got too close to um, someone who was a good friend, a close friend, someone we were spending a lot of time with. And that sort of led us sort of experimenting with something resembling polyamory, but it just, it was never, it was never on sure feet. And we were not in the greatest place at the time. So it, it just, it didn't go well. And it sort of led us to the where we are now, which is let's not have sex with people that are very close to us that we speak to all the time. Not not necessarily people we don't know. Um, yeah, it was but a, not someone that we're not people that we're close with. Yeah, it was a mm. conscious thing. I think I, mean, I don't want to speak for you, but I feel like I was driving it quite a lot because there were a few things around that. It wasn't just that the person was obviously intimately connected with us, so the conscious uncoupling of that was complicated. But the ramifications of being in a, in a, you know, having some sort of a relationship with someone who you know means that your mutual friends all know. But mm-hmm. they don't know what they don't know. And so the assumptions around that can, be, can, be, can become quite toxic. They, they can be quite difficult to navigate. Mm-hmm. And so for uh, me... And partic- gossip, yeah. And gossip. Oh, my God. And so yeah. particularly for me, I took this... A lot of it was aimed at me because one thing I was really conscious of, I was, I'd been called a victim a couple of times, which really, really um, sat badly with me for a number of reasons, as I'm sure you can imagine. But not being able to really combat that directly because, you know, you're in a group and you sort of speak as a, a group and not as a, a single person. And even when you do, trying to dispel sort of rumors and, and reputations become quite difficult. So, and, and then the other thing, and this came as a learned boundary for us, is not wanting um, to be, to get too emotionally involved. So we worked out as a sort of, we had this experiment with polyamory 
And one thing I really learned was a solid boundary of mine was that that kind of relationship was just too challenging for where I'm at at the moment. I, and I think both of us agreed, um, are, are in agreement about it now. Correct me if I'm, I'm wrong, honey. No, yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah. It, it was, I, I completely agree with everything you've just said. It was, it was something that you were sort of more behind the wheel of at the time, saying, I don't think this is a good idea. And I probably took a little longer than you did to come around to that idea, but now we're very much on the same page. That yes. Yeah. So, so now, I mean, acquaintances, I mean, it is a little bit of an evolutionary thing. Like we might talk about someone and it's someone we find mutually attractive, but we are not heavily emotionally invested with, um, is, is like, okay, for example, but mm. it's a conversation. And, and as a starting point, nobody who we are both mutually invested in or who we, you know, see a lot of and and Mm. they're part of our immediate social circles because the complications of that um we just find it's too too much to to navigate so not unspoken in our house absolutely (laughs) i i i I completely occur i think you occur you're occurring before us right now i completely (laughs) concur um that and and kind of hearkening back to what we were talking about before in terms of it is constant active communication um that's what this pertains to as well um so one of the boundaries is my client base is completely off limits Mm. for josh (laughs) (laughs) right i assume assume for you too uh well yeah i mean (laughs) absolutely it goes without saying but it's it's one of those things that sometimes it, it was put to me not that long ago um, that somebody asked was asking me because I, I work a lot with actors and musical theater performers particularly mm-hmm. and there are a lot of attractive men in both those worlds. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Tickets. Uh, <laughs> there are a lot of back in the room, Rob. Uh, there are, <laughs> but there are a lot of attractive men and so the question was posed to me, do you ever find yourself like fantasizing about your clients or like you know wanting to take that further and the honest answer is no because when i when i meet them in the context of i am a teacher they are engaging me for my teaching services i it just i don't know like it's not even something that was built into me it's just something that never occurred to me that it is a switch that is flipped i can't see them in that way i can i can absolutely look at clients and be like you're gorgeous you are you know you have everything objectively you have everything going for you in terms of you are going to be marketable agents are going to love you you're going to walk in the room everybody's going to be like you we want you regardless of how bad you are you know i mean they're a client of mine so they're going to be good anyway but (laughs) but you know what i mean but in terms of imagining them sexually it's just not something that occurs to me i think that speaks to i think that speaks to something fundamental about your character as well you know just that you're a you are fundamentally and i I mean like elementally an ethical person and that thank you yeah ding dong (laughs) and i was i was saying that 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 aspect of him sometimes in the past i didn't appreciate because i feel like there was what Help me back at that time, but now I look back that I, you really ground grounded me. Thanks. Um, it, it, on, this is a, a, a not, not tangential. It's a different topic, and we can talk about it another time. But on that, I definitely. 
have identified with a couple of my clients, um, kind of mid-twenties gay men, I have noticed that I am quite protective of them. Mm, you've mentioned this before. Um, that some of them may be beyond being a teacher as much as an ally to them or somebody that they, in, in some cases, have confided a lot of personal uh, experience in mm. which go- goes with the territory of teaching but it's not something I take for granted it's not expected in, mm. in my mind it's something yeah. that I really I value that they feel safe enough with me to disclose what they do mm. but there are a handful of them that I am quite protective of and you know that almost it, it sounds gross to say like guardian like but it, it, like it doesn't I, sound gross at all okay Cool, yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I just don't want to sound over... No, no, no. You yeah, know what no, I mean? Yeah, no, I think yeah, that's... But I've definitely recognised that in myself, that a couple of them, I'm just kind of... Like, they tell me stuff that has happened to them, and I just... It hits differently to hearing it like, oh, I'm so sorry that that's happened to you, but it's kind of like, oh, somebody I care about has had this done to them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that that's a slight digression, but... Uh, that's <laughs> to bring it back to the point that we were talking <laughs> about um, you, similar um, mm. I, I subscribe to the don't shit where you eat thing yeah. so people that are in my immediate professional circle just it, it's not something that I would entertain no matter how attractive no matter how much of a vibe there necessarily is mm. it's just not a a line I necessarily feel comfortable engaging with. Yeah. Um, that's not saying anybody who works in the arts ever, 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 I'm not going to go there because bollocks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, because you will meet people and, and. Because it's Melbourne and that limits things. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, yeah. But, but very much don't shit where you eat and very much the. My client base for, for Josh is off. Yeah, off limits. But I don't think there's not that really I great... eat all that often. No. <laughs> Ew. Ew. What are your rules for this, Josh? Yeah, my rules. I don't really have one because. See, I'm the one well, who grounds him apparently. <laughs> well, I. Because I, I feel like I know you so well. So are we talking about... Who? Um, about the who? Are there boundaries in terms of who we will sleep with? Not really, because I don't really think about them in that way. That I don't really go, oh, what if... Because I find that some sometimes it's just not, not something that's not going to happen and that I think contributes to my anxiety about a lot of things. You're talking about my clients or in general? In general, okay. Thank so you. sorry. Like so, for example, I wouldn't be comfortable if you were to say you want to squash snails for pleasure. That would be off the table. But I don't think about it that we're, way. We're all furrowing our eyes. Off the, off, yeah. Off, off the topic. Okay. <laughs> sorry, that was a really bad squashing. I was trying to figure out a euphemism in like. No, no, no. I thought maybe you squashing a, snails I, I with someone. I thought maybe this was a term in the gay community. Like it was a euphemism no. of some kind. <laughs> no, it's a thing. No, no. it's not like pussy. As I, <laughs> as I had to explain to you the other day. That was so. Yes. That was so adorable that you're like, I don't get. It. Isn't it surely a butthole? It's a butthole. <laughs> <laughs> now, now we're gonna have to explain that whole joke for the listeners. Please. So, 
Ezra, Ezra Michelle, uh, who is a queer trans man in the States, um, posted on his Instagram. He's like, as a queer trans man, is my butthole my pussy or is my pussy my pussy? You know? And he sent it to me. And I sent it to, to Rob and being like, lol, this is so funny. And Rob's like, uh, uh, I don't isn't a it. butthole a butthole? Surely the butthole is the butthole, right? <laughs> what are we talking about here? <laughs> and if you don't get it, good luck. <laughs> it's one of those if you know you know kind of jokes, I guess. And I you know. know. <laughs> anyway, um, squashing snails, babe. I think the point I was trying to make was that it's I, I guess I try to deal with it as it happens. Like if some if someone that gets close and I'm like oh I'm not comfortable with it, then I bring it up. It's not so much I'm going to cut off a whole group of people. Sure. Yeah. Or put them into a box and go don't touch them. Yeah. Because and that doesn't play. <laughs> that doesn't bother don't touch. No. <laughs> don't touch. And, and I think they don't my toys. I think that's probably a really important point because it wasn't something that had occurred to us until it happened and we went through it and mm-hmm. we went, okay, this is like, something we don't... We don't shit, we don't want to do this again. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> this isn't something that we want to do again in the yeah. future because it, yeah, it, it didn't go in, well. In hindsight, it was great that you went through it together and survived. Yeah. I mean, yes. <laughs> it, it, was, it was probably... That's the silver lining we keep repeating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we yeah. for, we're better together. We're better stronger. We're better stronger. Yeah. Right. Le- legitimately, it was the most traumatic period of our 14 years together was was trying to navigate that mm. uh, and, and you know this is a whole very long story um, in itself but um, for our patreon subscribers <laughs> <laughs> we don't have a patreon yeah but but the upshot of that is that you know it, it, it wasn't something that we had the foresight Hmm. Or I don't know. Perhaps we it may hadn't even. occurred to us before. But this is what I was about to say: is is maybe even had we had the conversation early on, maybe we would have gone. Well, maybe this isn't such a good idea. But we we didn't. I think I probably didn't give us the opportunity to have us that conversation early on, mm-hmm. for us to have that conversation early on, and then you know once we were in the thick of it. It's it's sort of it started really well, and you know like. Everything was great, and and then it sort of over a long period of time deteriorated. And anyway, as I said, it's a very long story, but yeah, the, the point is, it's it's not something that would have occurred to us upfront necessarily, or at least mm. it didn't. Um, mm. So yeah, it's mm. something that we've we've now come to in hindsight. Yeah, and I I can understand why people feel the need to set that boundary if they know that's going to make them un, uncomfortable or cause them pain. But I think that's part of the like we keep going back to the active lifestyle right because you have to keep checking in and mm. make sure that yeah sorry i'm going off the top yeah now. i mean i suppose the idea of not eating where uh, sorry not shitting where you eat isn't a isn't a concept also don't eat where you shit that too yeah. <laughs> i mean that people have that as kind of a, i'm not going to yuck anybody's yum well not let me stay on topic sorry <laughs> it's a uh, a rule that a lot of people have for workplaces and social environments and things like yeah, that. Yeah, which is a, that is and something it's fair that's because, to me. And no the reason, <laughs> the reason that that's the case is because it causes, it can cause, it can be a very unprofessional. Yeah. Um, which has huge ramifications depending mm. on the industry that you're in, and how 
vocal and, and sort of outspoken mm. you are about the lifestyle. There's a power dynamic there as well. There is a power yeah. dynamic. And then, and then again, it's the uncoupling part. Mm. I mean, uncoupling a, a normal relationship when you have friendship, you know, bonds and stuff, that can be messy and uncomfortable and awkward for everyone involved and not just the couple. Mm. But if you are already playing within that circle, and of course the extended friends don't really know, then it, it's kind of doubly awkward. Yeah. This, though, does bring back kind of what we were saying a bit earlier about the community, about about being open and, and sort of vocal about being open and having, being able to sort of recognize and communicate with other people in the lifestyle. And that obviously is really nice and you feel really um, sort of seen and recognized. But what we've known people to do, not us personally, but we have known couples who accumulate couple friends that are all part of the lifestyle. It's not that they're all sort of going around robbing with each other, mm. but it then you form a circle of kind of your friends, yeah. but your friends with very specific benefits. Yeah. Mm. And you all know that life. So it's a little bit different in that mm. situation. Yeah. So you can cultivate that kind yeah. of group if that's what you Especially. feel safe doing. Yeah. And it's what you're looking for with a group of people that you interact regularly. I think mm. sometimes with that, not dissimilar to how our chosen family kind of came together. I feel like those kind of relationships kind of occur it's not something i don't think to, to my experience i don't think it's something you actively can seek out and make happen i think it's a thing that you it's go organic yeah it's yeah. an organic yeah. thing that's kind of like cool okay mm. cool this is here yeah right we can mm. we can roll with this yeah 100 Um, so the next question I have, I and this, this was also um, a question that was asked by a number of people, so it was a popular one, is, uh, and it was asked in a couple of different sort of variant ways. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how do you manage the emotions? Um, how do you manage, uh, like, jealousy, if that's what you feel? Um, and the other question that I feel is correlated to this um is uh, do you worry about losing the other person to someone else? So, Josh, let's start with you. How do you I, manage the emotions? Emotions, jealousy, losing the other. Can I answer the last one first? Yeah. Because I don't... It's an open okay. conversation. I don't ever think about losing him. I don't want to lose him. Mm. But I, I trust him to bring it up with me that if he's thinking about leaving me or if he has because of our communication it just i don't really think about that so it doesn't feel our conversation surrounding the topic is high stack it's just mm. part of our dinner conversation depending on the day yeah um, I, if, if i may yeah. jump in on that that is that is something that we both aligned on very early was that it's important for both of us that there is affirmation of the, the strength of the bond there and that we are not in danger, but it's not about pandering to an insecurity as much as a reaffirmation of if ever there was the slightest chink in this armour, if there was ever the slightest little crack that was starting to happen where that could lead to our relationship undoing, we will bring that to the other because neither of us want the relationship to end. Because we have and learned... Well, and I was going to say, and even then, if 
one of us was starting to feel like maybe this isn't what we wanted, we have also agreed that we will bring that up with the other. So it's kind of... It, it, it's not a no news is good news, though, mm. because we still affirm that we are here because we choose to be. We we want to be where we're at, and that that helps with the fear of losing the other. Mm. Yeah, and we learned pretty early on that we need to nip it in the bud, right? In the sense yeah. that if, like, you don't... Uh, I have learned that I don't wait until I have a complete idea or an complete opinion about something and I bring it to him as if it's a work presentation I want to uh-huh. just have that conversation as the thoughts come to me I don't want to come to you and go hey I want to fuck other people what do you think about that <laughs> yeah. you know you kind of just want to have that conversation that's sorry that's what I was saying mm. if it makes sense yeah it does yeah well, how about your turn you? my turn mm. Uh, how do I manage the emotions? How do I manage jealousy? Do I ever worry about losing the other person? So uh, I will also answer the last one first. Um, the answer for me there is no. Um, and you know, as I sort of mentioned in the beginning, um, I feel like our relationship or our sort of foray into being ethically non-monogamous is every time you say foray, I think foray is requiem. Which is a, a classical um, piece of music that I sang years ago. Sorry. Every, Four B's Requiem, the sequel, was even better, I thought. But that's another, oh, that's another conversation. God <laughs> almighty. Four skins repercussions. Oh, <laughs> yes. And the winner is. <laughs> Can't believe neither of you went there first. Four skin. Wow. Yeah. I should have foreseen. Yeah. <laughs> Um, this sounds like foreplay. I'm forlorn that we're here. <laughs> For fuck's sake. <laughs> oh, come on, I was just getting on roll. Okay, sorry. Emotions, jealousy, yes, go. <laughs> so, I have never felt jealous. Even when, you know, I've been in the room watching you with other people. I've I've never felt a pang of jealousy. I feel like... And, and, you know, I've said this, David and Josh, I've said this to you just in conversation before that for me, I feel like our relationship is so atomically impenetrable um, that there's just nothing that could break it. Um, that, uh, that's the level of security that I feel. So even seeing you with other people, I feel no jealousy at all. There is, there is, I've never felt fear or doubt that something would tarnish our relationship or jeopardize our relationship in some way well, on that can i sorry to interrupt Please. you but on on that a, a thought occurs and this is not an assessment of you guys specifically but this is more uh, for people who may be listening to that and going yeah i feel the same in my relationship that we nothing can break us mm. is there not a risk with that of complete that breeding complacency uh, yeah, I would say so. I would sure. Yeah, mm. um, because you know, as I mentioned earlier, there certainly have been times when we've crossed lines sure. and and made the other person deeply uncomfortable, wounded the other person. Mm. Um, and you know, I I never once again. I suppose there are two things I want to say. Is firstly that even when one of us has wounded the other, for me, the wounds have never felt mortal. On the other hand, I also want to say that I. And we've sort of iterated this at the start as well, but I don't want 
to create the impression that you can't have this kind of lifestyle or do this kind of thing unless you have you know this sort of gold standard kind of relationship where you just feel you, do you know what I mean like yeah, I, I don't absolutely. know if I'm necessarily um, no, you're, articulating you're, it the right way but, yeah. yeah this is the way I feel um, and so that's yeah I, I, I guess but, but to answer your question yeah I think probably there is a risk you know mm. for, for getting complacent in that yeah um Going back to the root of the question, how do I manage the emotions? So this this one has been the one that has uh, the the part of this question that sort of stands out to me the most is something I've really experienced and gone through because there are a lot of emotions that go with this. Yeah. Because even though I've never felt necessarily jealousy, uh, even though I've never felt like the relationship was in jeopardy, I certainly have felt I guess anxiety uh, when Claire has been with. Uh, other people and that's that's not necessarily an anxiety that she was doing something that I wouldn't approve of or, or anything like that it was more I, I think for me it was probably more an anxiety of is she safe like yeah, if she's been yeah. out on her own with someone because mm. I know men can be disgusting disgusting and dangerous yes yeah um, and so yeah. I've definitely felt anxiety about is she safe if I've messaged and she hasn't responded you know, I've been worried. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like obviously she's with someone and they're doing stuff. So it's not like she's getting out her phone and texting me in the middle of it. Sure. So I get that. But, you know, those emotions can't be going well if she is. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, and, no, no, you're doing great. Yeah. <laughs> and so how do I deal with it? Well, I don't know if there's an easy answer to that. For me, I suppose there is respite in the knowledge that this is the lifestyle that we continue to choose to have and we both really value it and you know as with everything in life as claire mentioned this earlier the two fundamental motivators for every human action are pleasure and pain and there are lots of times in our lives that we weather a certain amount of pain for a greater pleasure that we derive and so i guess that's the way i would probably couch the way i manage the emotions is there there is a you know there is anxiety there is worry there is there are probably other emotions there that maybe I, I can't quite articulate right here and now, but I think it's important to to not paint it as all sunshine and roses, and it's easy and it's um, it's carefree, and, and you know that there are no negative emotions associated with it because they do happen. Absolutely. But um, but yeah, I suppose I manage them by getting through the moment because it, you know if I am worried or anxious about what might be happening, she comes home and then I'm fine. Um, and I know that's going to happen. You yeah. Know, yeah. Or at least it has so far. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll pass over now. Yeah, that's to, ha- to sort of grab onto a point that you made a few minutes ago where you were saying um, it's important to not paint it as, as sunshine and roses and to understand that there, that there are anxieties and that there are moments of, of, you know, of jealousy and a whole gamut of other emotions. For me, half of the dealing with them was actually starting to appreciate that that was okay, that I didn't have... Yeah. Like I was not completely together Mm. and that that didn't mean that I couldn't have the relationship that I wanted or that there was something wrong with me. And it sounds so simple. And I mean, we had, you know, you said, oh, I'd said that to you. And we'd had that conversation before and I I don't know why I didn't hear it then the way I sort of started to hear it more recently and it resonated a bit more. So I am someone who derives a lot of comfort when I start to see similarities in people I know or in, in other relationships and you sort of get comforted by the fact that you're not alone. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I, um, 
I'm gonna be the outlier, I think, a little bit in, in this. I do have, I struggle quite a bit with anxiety um, over um, losing the relationship and, um, and self-worth and things like that. And those things stem from my history. So what I grapple with a lot is that it's not necessarily reflective of where the relationship is or how Rob and I are. And that's an, an important distinction because sometimes when you're in the thick of it, anyone who knows what it is like to have anxiety, is it's hard to distinguish that in the minute and what the driving force is and the negative thoughts. It's really hard to remind yourself that those are just thoughts and they're not true or they're not necessarily reflective of anything. Mm. And so there have been times when it's in previous years where that was um, huge, um, huge parts of anxiety for me and how I approached just everything to do with this kind of lifestyle. And the thing that got me through it, the thing that kept me going where I think it would have been really easy to pack it up at that point, to pack it in, was that I didn't want to lose what I had with Rob. I, I, I knew how I valued this relationship more than and anything. And I know who you are and I know what we have together and how special that is and how important and worthwhile that is fighting for that. And that's what saw me through those really dark days. Um, and then in the, the managing of emotions and jealousy for me i found um and again it, it, most of my commentary on this particular subject matter stems from that time period and it's not so much reflective of now so the the couple of years where we were really struggling with sort of the polyamory and um mm. things like that um i found it wasn't so much jealousy i was suffering from necessarily but envy there's a lot of envy uh, around what you had with the other person and what you were doing with the other person in in contrast to what you would do with me and so there were things that that sort of relationship kind of sparked which was probably one of the reasons that at the conclusion of it I was like this sort of thing I find too difficult to really navigate right now it's not something that I experience ongoing generally speaking but the way you deal like jealousy and envy and any other kind of emotion, I deal with it the same way I deal with emotions as a normal human being. I, I recognize that it's an emotion, it's not based necessarily in, reality, in, in rationality, and I try and think it through and try and recognize what the driving force is, and we talk about it. We talk about it, yeah. I was coming back to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, oh, it's, no. I think it's important to note that you know, there are two players in managing the emotions. It's, it's, yes. not, we don't, it's not all insular. It, managing yeah. the emotions is a team effort a lot of yeah. the time. Yeah, and there's a lot of trial and error in that. Um, and it, I, again, it, I think it's about being realistic uh, with one's expectations that there is trial and error involved in not just working out boundaries, uh, but there's also trial and error in that, uh, oh, I lost my train of thought, Bull Saks Fifth Avenue. <laughs> I knew that would happen when you... Yeah, there's trial and error to it in managing the emotions. There's yeah. trial and error in... Finding out what works, what doesn't work, what you need from the other person, how much of how much of the response is your own responsibility without burdening the other, mm. without placing too much on the other to solve your inverted commas problem. But that's mm. a conversation you and I have had, I think, because mm. something we realized just in the last couple of months is how similar our experience is mm. in, in aspects of this. And definitely feels heartening to know that we're not alone in those experiences. But one of the things that really sticks out to me is the way you talked about your anxiety as this thing at, for, at that point, 
as this thing you needed to fix, mm. like some part of you was inherently broken or flawed that needed resolve, mm -hmm. rather than, and I, I don't say this from any place of like, well, I've solved this for myself, <laughs> learn from the master. Mm. It's not that because it, it, it's still an ongoing process for me, but it's reconciling that anxiety and, and, and that aspect of you is not a flaw, it's not a bad thing it necessarily it is a valid that's not to say that you don't have any flaws because you have many deep deep flaws anyway sorry David carry on wow <laughs> how many more times can I be interrupted um, <laughs> trust a straight white man to do that to me <laughs> no uh, I just wanted to dig um, I've lost my train of thought <laughs> see I knew that would happen you, you were saying that it's Fixing, not a flaw I, I it's like, not a flaw it, yeah. it's not a flaw it's, an, it's a perfectly valid aspect of yourself that rather than it being a thing that you need to get rid of it is a thing that you learn to manage it's a thing you learn to preempt and to understand about yourself that you can navigate it better and rather than setting the goal of this will never happen to me, I will never feel this way again, and living in fear of when you do feel this way, but that you feel more prepared for when it inevitably does come up, that you know better how to navigate and bring yourself back. Does that make sense? I'm not dictating yeah. this to you. No, I'm saying, it's a good speaking way of... somewhat of my own journey there, but yeah. I remember it stuck out to me. Yeah, you... and, and we have had, and actually talking to you in the last couple of months have been, has been really useful for me in sort of attaining the next step in the healing process for me mm. because I've never really known anybody, not that I've never known anyone with an anxiety, but never known someone where I've connected so thoroughly with them on so many points as to experience and how we tend to navigate and manage. Yeah. And so I found your lived experience really useful um, for me. And so now I look at it more like a bird in a mind in a mind shaft. Like if I start to feel that anxiety, it's just you know it's just a, uh, like a pre warning, as it were. To okay, I'm, I'm afraid about something. I'm nervous about something. I need to go and talk to Rob. I need yeah. to mm. work out in the what the actual stimulus is. Mm. And it, for me, quite often, it's not anything that's actually really alarming. So it's kind yeah. of just the it's kind of bizarre in that way so it's just the talking through of it reality check yeah exactly for, for me I know the anxieties gain the most momentum when there is ambiguity when there is grey area mm. so for me it's as you were just describing for me it is about nipping it in the bud and addressing where there may be ambiguity when I am on my own in a or when I have potential to be on my own and in a spot where I might spin, it's being able to know more clearly, more distinctly, what is factual in this mm. moment that I can actually hold on to a little more firmly mm -hmm. rather than get caught in the what if spiral. Yeah, mm. 100%. You can hold on to me firmly. <laughs> wow, <Hi>. quick <laughs> Well, I thought it was funny. <laughs> well, I'm sure somebody out there laughed. <laughs> but from a practical standpoint as well, it kind of, um, for coming back to how you engage and what your boundaries are and all the rest of it, obviously the, how you manage your emotions is going to be informed by your boundaries and what you set in place. But I've actually found things like, oh, I'm an overthinker. I need to not be reading everything. I need to not mm. be like fully into it and know every detail because mm. that actually causes me to spin. Whereas it used to be kind of something I found hot. So that was an evolution yeah. for me. It's interesting. Where now yeah. I'm like, and it came, it's an idea that you gave me. I was like, let's just try me not knowing anything unless I ask you. 
about mm. specific things. And let's see how that goes. And that's, yeah. Yeah. that's mellowed me, right? I feel <laughs> like absolutely. Like, that's that's a big way better. <laughs> De- definitely. I mean, that's certainly where one of the just it's reference to a question earlier but where josh and i are different is that i'm very much in the camp of don't ask don't tell i don't i don't need to know all i need to know is that you are safe and that there is a time frame in which i can expect to hear from you to know that you are safe mm-hmm. i don't need to know who i don't need to know what's happened i don't i don't need any of that mm. um because that feeds the gray area for me right now Mm. um and so it's helpful for me to don't ask don't tell i just need to know that you're safe wherever you are and when you get home all is good we're fine on we go i think i'm there too but josh is different because josh likes the details he likes to know because he's a little perv i think more more (laughs) i'm there though too um see that's a joke see people laughed (laughs) 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 what you're talking about again i had a really good Thought again, and it's a really good thought. Thought. I'm thought also, to... I'm also a little perv, I should say, because when Claire, yeah. when Claire does stuff, like what I thought initially, very early on in the relationship, is that I would enjoy seeing her with someone else, and that I would get like a some kind of sexual kick out of that. Mm. And I've seen her with many people at this stage, and I have never once enjoyed watching it. I, like yeah. it doesn't turn me off or anything like that, but I just have never gotten anything out of it right. like I thought I would. Sure, interesting. But. When she goes out with someone and I'm not there and she comes home and tells me the details and it's sort of all in my head like a fantasy, that's mm. very different. Mm. That I do find hot. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a... Mm. Yeah. Absolutely. Did you remember your Yes. The mm. big lesson here for all of us, I think, going through the open relationship journey is that I realized that what applies to me doesn't necessarily apply to him. I, I might be okay with him telling me all the hard details about how many millimeters of cum that this guy just out. But that doesn't millimeters. That, why why that unit of is, measurement? It is He's a dribbler. It is fair <laughs> that he tell me that he doesn't want the same for him. Yeah. 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 And and that goes back to the boundaries in how everyone has their own individual yeah. Yeah. and respecting one another's. Yeah. yeah. That's and right. that, that doesn't mean it is an incompatible pairing or that it is an incompatible lifestyle no. for, for the relationship. Yeah. 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 So I, I feel like just in, in summing up that question of, you know, how you manage the emotions, I feel like, you know, it, we, maybe we're sort of kicking a dead horse here, but it very much comes back to really open communication. Mm. That is the yeah. moral of all of these questions, yeah. really. Everything does come back to that communication. Yeah. There was another question that um, I got asked uh, a couple of times by a couple of different people. Um, All right, which rub is... it in. You got lots of responses. That's nice. fucking great for you. <laughs> he just has that lots is... of pervy friends. It's like that is yeah. nice. <laughs> anyway, the question was: What do you tell your children? How do you explain this to your children? Um... Well, we tell the pets that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and that, that this, is... This one is entirely you two. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
But it, it's a question that I I um, I really liked getting because it's something that I have spent a lot of time thinking about. Because right now our kids are are too young to have the. We haven't really broached the topic of sex much with them because they're nine and ten years old. So we're we're sort of coming into the age where we're going to start having conversations like yeah. this in the in the coming years. But we're not really there yet. And I think for me and and you know you certainly give your own spin on this but for me as a person who really values sex positivity uh, as a person who as as I said is really uh, set on trying to destigmatize the ethically non-monogamous open style relationship you know I, I want the kids to understand that this is who we are this is how we've chosen to be with each other that it doesn't mean we don't uh, respect each other or love each other or anything like that and a part of it for me as well is about breaking that mold because you know as I said a part of the discovery of this was going oh you know the world is not what I was told it was love and sex are not what I was told they were that they're just these binary things these heavily constricted things I want my children to be more open-minded about love and sex and relationships as they come into their own and I want them to feel perfectly free and safe to talk to us about it to experiment with it you know I mean obviously you know we've got one daughter and one son and so once again going back to knowing how disgusting men can be I worry a little bit about Lena's safety but I also really want her to feel free as a as a woman to be able to express her sexuality and own her sexuality and have agency to you know in in you know understanding that women deserve pleasure just as much as men do and that sex is not all about pleasing a man uh you know like i want her to own sex and her sexuality when she gets to that age so i feel like it's really important to not only have these conversations with them in the coming years but to be a living example of you don't have to fit into some kind of societal mold that's sort of a, a not necessarily outdated but you know isn't isn't the be all and end all you know there's there's more out there is that a conversation you have with her or do you more live by example? Yeah, example. is it a sit-down conversation? Yeah. Do you anti- I mean, we're asking you to predict the future here. <laughs> but is it, do you anticipate it being a sit-down conversation? Do you anticipate it being a you wait until she brings something to you? Or is it a lead by example? Or is it a combination of all three? I hope it's all of it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I hope, as you know, as I said, I hope the children feel safe enough mm. to be able to come to us with questions when they're going through something, to be able to come to us and talk about it. Yeah. Um, I hope they're, you know, they feel safe enough and confident enough to come to us for advice. But also I hope that they see us as being more than just parents, but being human beings. You know, I think that's one of the things that, sort of happens as you come of age is that you you stop viewing your parents as you know when you're a child you look at your parents as the sort of the world like they're the providers they're the they're the rule setters you know they're, they're yeah. they fit a mold and then as you get older you come of age you go oh actually they're human beings and there are these whole other aspects of them mm. you know yeah i feel like it's missing that i agree with you i feel like that's missing at least one if not a couple of steps in terms of the when that realization starts with realizing your parents are fallible mm. and feeling the disappointment of yeah them. yeah they have to go through the uncomfortable emotions yeah and there's there's almost like a grieving process of you're grieving the loss of who you thought your parents were and you start yeah. to see them as they are mm. yeah uh, at one point you got mad at them 
people yep. being who they are, and then you go, oh, I understand why. Mm. Like mm. Absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, I, I, I guess that that would be my answer to that question is that I, I want to be a living example uh, of you know, what love and sex can be in a, in a more open sense. Uh, but I also want them to feel safe and comfortable to, to talk to us about it and to experiment in their own sexualities and their own versions of love and intimacy. Yeah. What about you? Um, I obviously, I think along the same lines as Rob. Um, I suppose a lot of it for me is more subliminal. I don't actually think that we're going to need to have two. I, I get, a lot of it for me is about setting the necessary kind of precursors now so we are positive about sex we talk about sexual organs and the body's rhythms and cycles and we, we talk about that quite frankly now when it comes up and i all i always have i've always made the effort so lena's for example called her vagina a vagina forever and so part of that for me was a decision around removing the taboo around that, mm. that i experienced that i know my mother experienced that generationally generationally we experienced that so that was the, that's the first part is that we are sex positive as parents um and that we don't shield our kids from things that happen to them that they come across in the world if they have a question if something comes up at school then it's answered fully if ben asked ben has asked me something uh i think it was what's ahead no so we, we took him to the show and he asked me i think it was what's a head job i can't remember what it what's was. a blow job what's a blow job yeah and he, I, heard, he heard reference of a blow he heard job. reference to blow job in, in some lines in the show that we went to which is very misleading because there's not a lot of blowing involved like you could really do a lot of I damage i mean if you're going straight I mean, off the name on the kind of porn you watch i guess <laughs> 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 anyway, and, and for that in that particular instance, I looked at him and I went, babe, if you really want to know, we will have this conversation. We'll have it together with dad so that dad can provide context as well. But I got to say to you, I'm not ready to have this conversation with you just yet. Can we wait a couple of years? And he looked at me and went, yeah, right. Hmm. And so, yeah, again, it, it comes down to he knows that I'll tell him the truth. And again, if he wanted that information, it, it's my choice to not shield him from that. Yeah. Because it was a hard thing to get that information when I was a kid, and it was yeah. something that was a lot of embarrassment and taboo around, and I don't want that. Yeah. So, if I may, just on that, mm. what I think is beautiful is though that you have demonstrated to him that you are willing to listen. You have shown that you have heard him and communicated frankly back in terms of yes, I'll tell you if you really want to know, but I would feel more comfortable not having this conversation for a while yet. Like mm. that, just the way you've gone about that is beautiful because you've validated that he's asked the question. Mm. And that there's and nothing wrong with asking the question, mm. which yes, is that, really... that's what I was driving at, exactly. You know, and both of them are coming into the years where sex and the, uh, the opposite sex specifically is quite awkward. They're in that awkward phase, particularly sure. Ben Webb. Displays of affection and stuff in movies makes them very awkward. Mm. So we're there in their where they're sitting in not teenage years in development yes <laughs> preteen development I just couldn't think of the word um Develop. so that's important for me as a standard I think this generation and the ones that follow because of the grounds that we've gained in terms of sex positivity and and you know queer community and you know there's a lot more conversation around ethical non-monogamy and different forms of of um, mm. love and lifestyle I think it's not going to be as strange to our kids mm. so I don't want to make I, I'm probably a little bit different where I'm more I'm going to be more accepting of just 
if they come to what me and when they you. come to me, it's just going to be, yep. Yeah. There's not gonna, it's not going to be met with a big fanfare. Oh, you've come to this wonderful place. Or I need to lead you down <laughs> oh, this it's path. It's the worst. <laughs> it's, more, it's more the, yep, that's life. Just this acceptance of this is how life is and it's absolutely fine. Mm. And The normalization of it. The normalization yeah. of it. So for me... Oh, Josh has a question. No, no, sorry. I, okay, sorry you can't. In the non-visual platform of podcasting, the raised hand. Sorry, <laughs> I, no, I, that's I wanted to ask if the same applies to you. So I think some of the, just to bring back to that, the question, some of the listeners might be wondering how much of your open relationship will you or does your kid know? You know, I, I think that's some of the, that's something that some people might be wondering is how much... Of this, should my kids know? I, should they know? Well, it's not like we're going to do it in front of them. No, <laughs> so I mean that's that's a boundary. <laughs> so in the the years where we were experimenting with polyamory, it was a question I wondered because obviously this other person was around quite a lot, mm. and not that anything was ever done directly in front of the kids, but children are very very cluey. So mm. I would be surprised if they didn't, especially when they look back at those years, if they don't realise that something was going on at the time. Yeah. I don't think. Mm. they don't think like that mm. we certainly didn't introduce this person as this is our girlfriend or anything <laughs> along those lines yeah. but I think I think in saying that though there's a there's an unconscious bias toward monogamy in saying that because mm. if children grow up in a relationship where they have not like let's assume they grew up outside the bubble where they've been taught that one man one woman or you know just two people in general and suddenly there are three people who are all intimate with each other and those children would would know and understand that three people being intimate with each other is perfectly normal. Mm -hmm. So for kids to be around that and to see their parents being intimate with a third person, unless there was some indication that there was something wrong about that that was directed at them, it wouldn't bother them. Like it wouldn't mm. occur to them. They would just go, well, you know, this is this is normal. This is our life. That's just what this is. That's yeah. true. And this could be a good question for Ryan. Case. That's actually a good question. We yeah. should put a tab in that question for when we have our therapy episode and with our guest psychologists. Mm. And I think the reason we didn't really ever talk about this too much during that time period, and it's certainly not come up post then because we don't tend to do a, a lot at home because the kids are at an age now where that's really awkward. I think also because we were never settled in that particular relationship, the kids knew how special this person was and that they were over all the time and they invested a lot in that person. Mm. And so like having a, like if you're a single person commencing in a, a single parent commencing in a relationship, you weigh when it's the right time to introduce that person mm. to the children, mm. to the family, because in doing so, you potentially create a problem when that, if that anything happens and that person leaves. Mm. So there's, you have to take in that specific sense i'm not saying you have to consider the attachment mm. yeah so yeah. there's that um that sort of it, it probably never came up in that we were never direct with them and you're right children you know what you pre present as normal to your children is what they will think of as normal until they get to school and they realize that <laughs> they are um 
maybe an exception an to exception the rule. to the what the rule is and so that then becomes another thing to navigate mm. but what I, I would, think I would say though that it would be very similar to a kid who goes to school and comes of age and goes oh wait a minute why have I got two mums why have I got two dads you know how am I different why you know like it would be the same kind of question That's and we, I, I think societally maybe we we've moved further along in that conversation right? certainly I feel like yeah. though that conversation happens earlier than when they're coming of age yeah, right. yeah. and um, I think there's yeah. also a lot more I, I know a number of same-sex couples with kids and that comes back from like a prep age mm-hmm. yeah where other parents other family units other students mm-hmm. are asking questions passing judgments that yeah. sort of thing and it's something the school had to get actively involved with which is just kind of like, Jesus, make a mountain out of a molehill. Well, mm, I, yeah. I mean, and, well, I, not Sorry. having direct... No, 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 not, not, don't apologize. Um, not having direct experience with anyone I know having gone through that yet. Hmm. It, there seems to be more ground... Mo- like, that is now, we are making strides as a community like as a broader community yeah. to make that socially accepted it's now being more normalized absolutely so i'm trying to think if the kids have got any um if anyone that they've mentioned that are same-sex parents but i don't think they do this year whereas you know having a, a, a you know a parent actively engaged in a relationship with multiple people or living in a house with almost in, in that polyamory sense mm. or you know the big love type sense where mm. <laughs> um that's probably got a ways to go in terms of social yeah. acceptance, mm. but it is a, yeah, it's what you make normal. And children, for those of you who who don't have them, children need to feel safe, and they feel safe when you set boundaries that you you know you maintain as a couple. And though and it's what you make those boundaries, as long as the kids feel that they are safe and and sort of within that space that's familiar. They, they will deal with anything and they will grow up being healthy, well-functioning human beings. So as a, it's about how you approach that as a couple and what... I mean, boundaries isn't a good term, not boundaries isn't an exclusive term. It's, it's how you make that family unit feel safe um, and what you create as your normal. We have two more questions that uh, I think actually would probably be best combined into one question. Um, and so this is this is our let's treat this as our final question. How do you know that your feelings are reciprocated by your partner, i.e., that they're not just going along with it all because they don't want to lose you? Um, and that is coupled with what do you think is the most important thing for the two of you to ensure that you're both happy in the relationship besides open communication? Oh, besides, oh, besides. Open, besides. I was going to say, like, well, that's easy. Open communication, doll. <laughs> I, I mean, you. I feel like we've covered to death that the most important mm. thing is open communication. So, um, but but let's let's start with the first aspect of that question, which is, um, how do you know that your feelings are reciprocated by your partner, i.e., that they're not just going along with it all because they don't want to lose you? Well, I think it's reflected in actions and the con- consistency in the way we treat each other because if everything feels as no- as it as normal then really this is not something that we need to be threatened by be threatened by so yeah, yeah. Con- consistency of action 
consistency of words to action uh, is a big one. I think also considering, not, not to make too broad a point, but the when thinking about like love languages in terms of how mm. one receives affirmation, how one is made to feel safe within the relationship, again, with the caveat of other than open communication. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is, I think it's really important to honor that and still prioritize, and even more so perhaps, prioritize the way each other receives that so that they feel cared for they feel safe and uh, and secure within that that you know and i think that sense of safety allows for the communication it mm. allows for voicing concerns it allows for D- does it make sense yeah yeah, mm. yeah I, I think that that's probably a really good point. Uh, just going to the second part of that question is, you know, what what's the most important thing besides the open communication, which is the the feeling that the feeling that you're safe to mm-hmm. express your emotions yeah. and to yeah. you know to have have that open communication yeah. with mm-hmm. with your partner. You know, that 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 for me comes from the the consistency of action. So like when we first started exploring exploring it and where it kind of got out of hand for a while not to 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 throw you under the bus but when josh kind of went zero to 100 in 2019 it wasn't just that he was going zero to 100 it was that our home dynamic completely changed like i was it didn't even feel like i was a housemate at that point it was just like i was just there yeah i wasn't really thinking about our relationship at all Right. And, and which is hard because then that hits all those trigger points of in terms of me going, well, this is clearly threatening to the relationship when, in fact, objectively speaking, it's nothing to do with our relationship. Mm-hmm. But the, the reason that those two things got smashed together was because he stopped investing any time and energy in our relationship, that all of the consistencies, all mm-hmm. of our kind of routines went out the window any quality time spent together went out the window yeah. that's a really good point yeah and and mm. i want to i want to point this out as well because i think this is really important for anyone listening is that what you two have just illustrated is that you know as we've said this is not perfection you know mm. where the, oh, it's, it's not that these kind of relationships are easy it's not that they don't have their trials and tribulations absolutely and what you've just pointed out was that you had a big big problem mm. and you're both really open about communicating about that problem mm. and josh you've been really willing to own that you know you you weren't investing or you know you weren't there in the way that david needed you to be and that is a super important part and not not just about open relationships or ethically in any relationship accountability yeah. is really crucial yeah and but i i feel like having this kind of a relationship naturally lends itself to the kind of openness and depth of communication that monogamous relationships may not necessarily have. I think that's yeah. probably an important thing to mm. notice as well. Mm. Yeah. I agree with you on that one. What was mm. the question? <laughs> How do you know that your partner reciprocates oh, rather right. than... So, because <laughs> Dan Savage refers to, to, some, to, to this particular phenomenon as open under duress. Mm. Um, which has been communicated, and I think we referenced it a fortnight ago, mm. which has been referenced as kind of one of the major rebuttals of 
the idea of an open relationship is that yeah. it's one person getting what getting their way and doing whatever the hell they want. And this is what Claire was talking about and when she said she's been told she's a victim. the victim. Yes. When, yeah. Yeah, and to sort of elaborate on that at that point, I suppose, is that you you can't you can't live that life. You can't live faking it till you make it in this particular instance. It will destroy the person who's faking it. And you and you can't fake that. Not if your if your partner is anyway invested in you and your relationship, they will notice and they'll either, either it'll be the end of the relationship or they'll come back and you'll reassess and you'll you'll you know recalibrate. And I think for for us the actually the pandemic was that the, because the lockdowns made it all stop mm. and that was actually the breaks that we needed to be forced to reassess and really examine that mm. um, and while that was challenging at first I, I'm incredibly not, not grateful of the pandemic but I'm incredibly <laughs> grateful <laughs> of the timing of that mm. because I don't think the way we were going was going to resolve itself mm. I, I, I do feel like we were careening completely out of mm. control. Mm, yeah. And so we kind of needed that external factor to, to kind of wake us up to we're not going about this in, in the right way. And neither of us are going to get what we want because both of us want the mm. relationship to continue. Yeah. And yes. it, it, it's navigating that. I think my experience is very, very similar to that, that mm. um, we talked a lot about on the early days on being on the same page mm -hmm. and so we'd have a conversation we'd get on the same page and then you know five seconds later we were in different spaces and initially that caused don't you remember okay you're looking at me weird we'll talk about that <laughs> um in you know like where i had a boundary and you weren't worried about that boundary and no still okay and so it did feel very much like um during the sort of polyamory years that we weren't as invested in our own relationship you know the, the home dynamic did suffer and i was working and, and there was a lot of what i felt like was was a lot of give and take that was a lot of in the favor of that relationship and that was how i experienced it and so it was about coming back together and i mean we did this before the pandemic and then the pandemic was just nice because we got to spend a lot of time together that we had not been able to not because of the relationship but just because of life in general mm. Um, to sort of come back and recalibrate and remind each other of what was important and what we both wanted. And it wasn't ever that I didn't want the same things or that I was participating under duress. It's just that what we were looking, we, we just, we struggled during those years to stay on the same page, I think is what it was for me. It's one of the things that I sort of bookmarked earlier as a, a point that was raised sort of earlier in the conversation is the, the judgment that you get sometimes from people who don't necessarily understand uh, this kind of relationship or don't agree with it or, you know, like the, the people that we know who, you know, went to Claire and said, oh, you're a victim in all this. And, you know, David, what you mentioned um, a few minutes ago, what Dan Savage said about being open under duress and something that was sort of posited to us uh, ages and ages ago is that you know all, uh, my idea of open relationships is that it's it's usually just one person out there getting whatever they want while the other person's at home crying and you know just not wanting to lose that other person and I, I suppose my answer to that is that that is not an open relationship that is a toxic relationship and there is a huge difference because yeah. an ethically non-monogamous relationship involves the equal investment and the open investment of both parties and so you know it's a really important distinction to draw and i think what we have 
all exhibited in this conversation tonight is that you can be in an ethically non-monogamous relationship and you can still slip into moments where it's not necessarily on equal footing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's important that, you know, if, if you really are invested in each other, if yeah. you're invested in the idea of ethical non-monogamy uh, and, the, you know, the, the, I suppose the values that are associated with it that you, you remind yourself yeah. and remind each other mm. to come back to that. And, and that's those actions that I was talking about. It's that actions maybe even over words where it's demonstrating when that uneven footing happens it's demonstrating that hang on my priority is us so let's get ourselves back to to on the same page or at least reading the same book would be great you know yeah um, and i would once again also reiterate that this this is also something that very commonly happens in monogamous relationships that couples find themselves yeah this is not exclusive for want of a better word Mm. yeah this is not (laughs) exclusive to to uh, yeah yeah to open relationships yeah yeah In closing, it's mm-hmm. it's a point that I would probably come back to is to say that ethical non-monogamy in many ways is very similar to monogamy in that you do have difficult times in a relationship, right? I think uh, throwing non-monogamy into a relationship, yes, it does throw sort of another complicated dynamic into the relationship, but it also, by its very nature forces deeper more meaningful more open transparent conversations which benefit the relationship as a whole absolutely and on the benefiting the entire relationship i think what is gained as an individual through having those experiences being forced to communicate being forced in a way to be vulnerable and so open with one another it levels you up as a human being so therefore you are a better contributor to the relationship you are a better human in that relationship or certainly it increases your capacity to to be that yeah and and i think what you find as well is that you know because we're using the word forced which i i sort of want to call out because that sounds like you know sure sure not my intention uh, yeah by by saying forced but it, it but it's kind of a byproduct of it, yeah yeah and and i feel like over time as you know as we were as claire and i were saying earlier you become more and more willing to have those conversations yeah. because over time you realize that every time you have one of those conversations you feel so much better about yourself about the relationship and so much more connected to each other it's a beautiful thing sorry i interrupted you no no it's sorry. all right i was just gonna say and there's someone who i i just want to I really want to speak to people who have past trauma that they feel like might preclude them from this kind of existence or it makes it feel really precarious. I think David and I have demonstrated a really good, have demonstrated well. We've demonstrated real good. We've demonstrated real good. <laughs> that you can, you know, I firmly believe in the values and in the relationship and, and in ethical non-monogamy. And I would believe in those values regardless of whether I was in one of those relationships or not. And what I, just following on from Rob's point, is that, I find a lot of those, um, you know, the communication, like it's, it's the vulnerability, especially when I feel um, the anxiety sort of peaking a little bit, that's really challenging. And anyone who's experienced anxiety at any level will understand what that feels like and how difficult those moments can be, especially when you're coming from past trauma. This is 
I don't want to call it therapy because it's, it's not just therapy, but the longer we are in these relationships and the more that this relationship and the more of these sorts of conversations we have, the easier I time I have having them. The more I heal, the more I realize, you know, and I, I am able to look at my trauma as just an aspect of my past and not a, a presence in my present. Hmm. And, and certainly not a continuing presence in my future. And it really does help. And you might be able to speak to whether or not this has been similar for you. That it it just helps to to deal with that, I suppose. And in a way, it is really therapeutic for me as someone who has trauma in the past. Working through it with you, know, with you it strengthens us. And it does make me a better person than I am actually. In, in a way, it's actually helping me really to address, hmm. address the things that I find Very challenging. Very it makes me fall in love more with you to oh, know no. that you're going through that. And fundamentally, I like to think, and I'm not diminishing the nuance a topic like open relationship can, can present to a couple. But I, I like to think I, in an ideal world that having an open relationship is not different from all the other things that a, a couple may choose to do together like moving into a house or rearranging a room or having kids or having pets or going on a trip it's just part of your life you share together Mm. and i like to think that really it doesn't need to be that taboo it doesn't need to be that burdened it can just be a part of our life that we talk about and we share and doesn't have to be a bomb absolutely Mm. yeah 100 percent. that speaks to the normalization Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely well well I was just going to say uh, thank you very much to Claire and to Josh. Yes, for, indeed. Thank for you both us. for joining us. Do we stay on topics this week? I think we did much better. <laughs> and look, y'all will listen to the what the conversations we had last fortnight, and you'll be grateful of this episode <laughs> for so much context. <laughs> yeah, there was yeah. a lot more structure this time around, so I'm glad we decided to come back and do this. And thank you so much to everyone who submitted questions. Absolutely. Uh, there were some really, really good questions, yeah. questions that I hadn't really thought of. Yeah. Um, on, on the topic of questions, if you have thoughts feedback, your own experiences that you would like to share with us. Perhaps you disagree with some of the points that we've made. We certainly are open to and welcome that discourse. You can email us. We are open to any listeners being wrong. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) You can email us. Um, I promise we'll be nice. Um, (laughs) No, I actually can't promise that. Never mind. Um, (laughs) But you can email us at hehimpodcast at gmail.com and you can also uh, interact with our Instagram which is hehimpodcast on, on Instagram. Yeah. We're, we're on the socials which is exciting. Thank you everybody who has listened and made it this far into, into the conversation. I know I was a little trepidatious about being so forthcoming and being so open about being open because i think even in the scheme of things where josh and i are only a couple of years into it and it does feel quite an exposing thing to to be transparent about Mm. but i I think it's important i I take the the responsibility of visibility quite seriously and i feel like it's important to be visible in in something like this because and that speaks to the normalization of it you again an inspiration oh me. shut up maybe no. not, maybe cut that bit out sounds a bit cocky <laughs> well <laughs> depends on who's cocky he's, uh, he, he's been david 
Oh God, really? That's <laughs> no. Okay. Oh God. Are we the two Ronnies? <laughs> oh dear. All right. But um, thank you, everybody, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Cheers. Oh, <laughs> oh well done, Sam. Very nice. Oh, yeah, that was good. That was good. Was that good for you? David Butler Studio Podcast.